Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. My name's Josh, one of the pastors. Thanks so much, PC. Great to see you all here. Let me get set up. This morning, this morning, we're going to look at the question what is the life of satisfaction and how do you get it? What is the life of satisfaction and how do you get it? Uh, different people will have different answers depending on a whole bunch of things. For me, uh, this was a life of satisfaction. This was, uh, this is a special ball for me. This was the ball that I got my first Michelle with. Does anyone know what a Michelle is in cricket? It's when you get five for five wickets. It's called a Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, this is my first Michelle in adult cricket and it was a special thing for me. Uh, for me, the life of satisfaction was to bowl the perfect leg break and do it for a living, right? You know, the, you bowl it and it gets above the batter's eye line, it drifts in, catches their eyes, it drops, and then it spins past the outside edge and takes the top of off stump. There is nothing better in life than that. That was the life of satisfaction. How do you get it? For me, lots and lots of practice, bowling thousands of balls a week, and I didn't get anywhere close. It's good to know that we're on a level up here. All of us want the life of satisfaction, right? Not, not a shallow, temporary, fleeting kind of pleasure. We want that deep, nourishing experience of satisfaction. That feeling of, I've found what I was looking for and it didn't let me down. In fact, it's even better than I thought it would be. This passage is going to show us where true satisfaction is and how to get it. It's the kind of passage you don't want to miss, and so it's great that you're here. The way it's going to do that is this passage is going to act a bit like a mirror and a window. If you could imagine a bit of glass, that as you look at it, it shows you your reflection. It helps you to reflect on yourself. But then as you kind of refocus and keep looking at it, you can see it's a little bit like a window. You can see through it, and what you see out of it is the most spectacular view that you can see and experience. This passage is going to do that for us. It's like a window and a mirror. It's going to start by getting us to reflect in on ourselves, to show us what we're really like, and then it's going to get us to refocus our vision and see through the window to a beautiful picture of the life of satisfaction that truly satisfies and is going to tell us how to get it. It's a wonderful passage. I'm glad that you're here. Let's get stuck in. Have your Bibles open. Let's have a look at verse 1. Sorry, point one, come and be satisfied. Verse one, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Isaiah starts by holding up a mirror to humanity because the assumption is that our natural state is that we are hungry and thirsty. Not literal hunger and thirst, he's talking about our dissatisfaction with life. There's a hunger and a need in our world. People are dissatisfied thirsty for something to quench that thirst that they just never quite get. If you look in the mirror and reflect on yourself and look out into the world, you'll know it's true. These are words written 2,700 years ago, and yet they're still true today. And I reckon possibly even more true today. See, we are the wealthiest that any culture has ever been in history, right? We've got everything we could ever want. There's nothing that you need that you can't go out and get. And you'd think this would mean that we're the happiest that humanity has ever been, right? And yet, people are experiencing depression at a higher rate than ever before. We are less happy and less satisfied. Do you feel that? Have you ever felt dissatisfied with life? Or do you wake up every day and think, I am completely content. 
I am totally fulfilled. I'd love to meet you if that's you. I've never met anyone like that, or at least who doesn't experience it for more than just a couple of seconds. We feel it for a little bit and then it goes away. Why is that? God tells us in verse 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Why are we dissatisfied? God says it's because we pursue things that can't satisfy. We use our money and labour to chase for things that look like bread, that look like that lasting satisfaction, but it's actually more like fairy floss. We spend a great deal of effort pursuing things that look good, that give us that bit of a sugar ration that seems to satisfy, but it melts away quickly. And it leaves us dissatisfied and kind of searching for the next thing, wanting more. We've all experienced moments like that, right? Where you've chased for something that you really wanted and then you got it and it was good for a bit. And then you thought, that's actually not that good. And so you kind of look for the next thing and you chase after that. Uh, Maybe for you, it's with work. You thought, if I just get this job, if I just get out of my job and get this new job, then I'll be happy because your current job is not very good. And, and then you get that job and it's good, but after a while you realise it's not that good. You know, my boss isn't as good as I thought they'd be. Maybe, maybe if I was the boss, if I didn't have to do that grunt work anymore, then I'd be satisfied. And then you become the boss. And then you realise, I'm the boss. I've got these responsibilities and, that's not, and so you chase the next thing. You're chasing something that isn't bread. It won't satisfy you. Maybe for you it's chasing the perfect body and beauty. The problem is you're always going to feel ugly and aging compared to someone who's younger and more beautiful. You will get old. Body and beauty won't satisfy you. If you chase money, you'll never have enough. If you think the perfect relationship will satisfy, you'll soon learn that relationships bring more trouble. I never argued about what to have for dinner or where to go when I was single. I don't know about you. Sometimes we can even think that going to a new church will satisfy us. That other church, that has all the things that I'm looking for, the perfect preacher and the perfect community that's going to satisfy all my needs. The reality is that church is full of sinners as well. It won't satisfy you. I don't know if you read in the news this week about Iris Smith. Uh, She made the Forbes Top 30 list for the most successful entrepreneurs under 30. Uh, She's 22 She owns a $15 million business. She's attractive. She's got everything that she could want. She did an interview. This this is what she said. My life sounded good on paper. I had what many would consider the perfect life. But I pretended I was happy when I wanted to die. She goes on. What's interesting is that many of us in society seek these material assets to obtain happiness... And yet when I obtained them, I was more miserable than ever because they gave me zero fulfilment. Isn't that amazing? We all have times when we experience that dissatisfaction with life and God says it is because we pursue the wrong things, things that can't satisfy us. That is the truth that the passage wants to show us in the mirror that we as humans are prone to chasing things that can't give us what we're looking for. Humans are prone to chasing things that can't give us what we're looking for. And it's to us who are like that, to the thirsty, that God says, come. Verse 1, come, he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk. Verse 2, eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. 
It's an amazing picture of deep and delightful satisfaction. Here's this image as you refocus through the window, a beautiful picture of life full of abundance and blessing and delight. It's an incredible view of what life could be like. But in fact, the stakes are far higher than even our satisfaction. We see verse 3, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Our lives that pursue the wrong things don't just have our satisfaction on the line, our very lives are at stake. And into this setting, God says, come, listen to me, come to me and find deep and delightful satisfaction, find the waters that will truly quench your thirst, that your soul may live. What a promise, what a picture No more chasing after things that don't last, just a rich banquet of delight and satisfaction. I want to experience that, don't you? God says, come to me and you'll have it. But what is this satisfaction? We know it's got something to do with God, but what is it? Uh, And what does it mean to come to God? You can't just type God into Google Maps and then rock up at his house. What does that mean? And... How does it actually all work? Point two, I've changed the wording on your outline. As soon as you have to write something down, you always want to change your thoughts. So, uh, Point two, abundant pardon for relationship. Have a look at verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Did you see what the delightful and satisfying food is? Let him return to the Lord so that God may have compassion on him. And return to the Lord, for he will abundantly pardon. God says that compassion and pardon from him are the most satisfying riches you can have. Why is that? Well, it's because those are the things that enable us to have a relationship with God. We need compassion and pardon in order to have relationship with God. I'm going to dive into those words in a second, but I want us to see that relationship with God is the true thing that brings deep satisfaction. To to know and be known by the Creator, to love and be loved by the one who will never, ever let you down. God, He made us to be in relationship with Him. And so it makes total sense that to be in relationship with him is the thing that brings satisfaction. It is literally what we're made for. And I can honestly tell you that relationship with God is by far the best thing I've experienced. The thing I used to chase was success in cricket and I thought I could kind of get love and get respect and get admiration from others by being good at sport. But the reality was I was constantly disappointed, frustrated, and always left wanting more, no matter how well I did. There were always people who were going to be better than me, and even if I played a 99% perfect game, there's that 1% that you go to bed thinking about all night. But when I came into a relationship with God, I experienced genuinely deep comfort and satisfaction. I found that I didn't have to kind of work to achieve anything with God to get stuff from Him. I could rest in the fact that the Creator of the universe knew me, loved me, 
cared for me no matter what and that there was nothing I could do to change that. You don't have to keep up the work to kind of keep the love coming in. It is so good. Enjoying relationship with the true God is better and far more satisfying than anything else we can chase after. So how do you get it? What does it mean when God says, come to me? How do you receive the compassion and pardon? Well, it's about turning from and turning to. Have a look at verse 6 again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. How do you do that? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Turning from and turning to. First, you need to turn from. You need to forsake your ways and your thoughts. Did you see? See, our natural way of living and thinking is to do whatever we want to do which is really to reject the God who made us. See, God made us to love him, to listen to him, to be in relationship with him. But right from the very beginning, we've lived our own way. Adam and Eve didn't listen to God. They wanted to live their own way according to their own thoughts, not God's. They rejected God and his ways and thoughts. And we've been following in their footsteps ever since. Doing whatever we want to do, following our own ways and thoughts rejecting God if you want to come to God to experience the great delight of relationship with him then you need to stop rejecting him you need to turn from your ways and your thoughts forsake your life of putting yourself first and doing whatever you want to do turn from that and turn to God entrust yourself to the one who made you acknowledge and reorient your life around the truth we see in verse 9 for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts entrust yourself to the one who's far above you and knows better if you want the life of satisfaction come to god turn from your own ways and turn to the one whose ways are higher If you come to him, God will abundantly pardon your rejection of him. Because you need pardon. You need forgiveness. You can't just reject God for your whole life and then turn up at his house. How does he pardon you? Well, we saw it if you were at church last week. He sent his son to die for you. The servant from Isaiah that we've been seeing all the way through. He sent his son to take the punishment that you deserve for rejecting him, to free the way so that you can turn to God and have relationship with him. It's incredible. See, when it says back in verse 1 that we can buy wine and milk and it won't cost us anything, he's talking about coming to the table to enjoy the abundant blessings of relationship with God. And he says, it's completely free, which is mind-blowing. Think of the most expensive dinner you've ever been to. Times it by a million, the best banquet you'll ever go to won't cost you anything but it costs God everything the life of his son come to God receive the pardon that cost the life of his son so that you can enjoy a relationship with God the only thing that will satisfy that longing that you kind of feel inside 
and it's the only satisfaction that will truly last. If you chase after looks, you know that your body will age and get wrinkly. Even if you do get satisfaction from your job, you know you can't do it forever. If you chase the ultimate experience, you could end up in hospital tomorrow and never experience it again. God provides satisfaction that is deep and that lasts because he's eternal. You can have relationship with God forever. And so come to him. Turn from living your own way and turn to the one whose way is higher. Come to him. But you don't have forever to decide. Did you see verse 6? We'll read it one more time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God has given us a window where he can be found, where he is near, where we can call to him. But it won't last forever. One day he'll say, time is up. It's too late. We don't know when. Could be tomorrow. Could be after lunch. So don't put it off. It's too good an offer to put off. You might be thinking, it does sound like too good an offer. Way too good. You're telling me that I have to give up my whole way of living on the basis of just a couple of words in the Bible. How can you know for sure? How can you know for sure that it's true so that I can confidently give up my life for this relationship that sounds so good? Have a look at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's an illustration about rain, right? Rain starts in the sky and then it falls to the ground and then through some scientific process that I'm sure you know the name for, gets back up to the sky again. And the point is that rain never does that process without doing what it achieves, without achieving what it sets out to do. You can be confident that whenever rain falls, certain things are going to happen, right? Flowers are going to grow, crops are going to grow, animals are going to be watered, and we're all going to pull out our phones and pretend that we're professional meteorologists and pull out the bomb and go, oh, that cloud doesn't look like it's coming over here, we'll be all right. But certain things are going to happen. Rain always achieves what it sets out to do. And the same is true with God's words. You can trust that it will always achieve what it sets out to do. If you read the Bible for yourself, you'll see time and time again that God's words always accomplish what it sets out to do. Whenever God says something, it happens. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and the universe went from total blackness to being lit up. Throughout Isaiah, if you've been with us, we've seen God promise a whole bunch of stuff that gets fulfilled perfectly 700 years later. God's word never returns empty. You can trust it. When God says, come to me, and I will give you the delightful and rich banquet, the only thing that will truly satisfy you, you can bank your life on it. It's incredible. And it's worth responding to. This passage has held up a, a mirror to our lives and shown us who we really are, that we are hungry and thirsty, that we're dissatisfied with life because we chase after things that can't satisfy us. 
And it's shown us a window out to the beautiful life that is full of rich delight and satisfaction. And what do we do with it all? The first thing is to take the action that God calls us to, to come. Verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Come to God that you might be satisfied and live. I take it God has to say it so many times because we are slow to hear. Come to God, turn from your ways of living for yourself and turn to the God who will abundantly pardon you and give you a relationship that will never let you down. If you haven't done that yet, it is fantastic that you're with us here this morning. Don't let this opportunity go to waste. The window of opportunity could end at any point. Tomorrow night, we're starting a small group where we're going through the foundations of what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become one? How do you live as one? What are the foundations if I want to go over the basics? Come along. It'll be a great time. If you want to find out more, if you want to join, chuck something on your Connect card. We'd love to hook you up with that. You can get back onto the Connect. Just send in two if, you haven't, if you've already done one. In front of your um, outline, you've got a QR code. We'd love to invite you to that. This stuff is too important to not do anything about. If you're someone who's already come to God and experienced relationship with him, praise God. How good is it? For you, I think getting into the context of this passage will help sharpen the application for us. See, in this section of Isaiah, Israel were in exile in Babylon because of their rejection of God. They were away from home and they were tempted to chase after and pursue the gods of Babylon because they couldn't see God. See, God promised, verse 5, if you read, that the nations will come to you. But Israel currently had been captured and taken off to another nation. It'd be easy to give up on God. It'd be easy to look at their surroundings and go, there's some pretty good stuff here. I might be tempted to chase it. The thing about the exile is that this kind of exile of Israel is really just a scale model of what's happened on a wider world stage. See, we were at home with God in the garden, at home and in relationship with him. But Adam and Eve's rejection of God caused God to cast them out into exile. And that's where we live, in exile, in Babylon, away from home, surrounded by all kinds of things that tempt us to chase after them. But God says, come to me. Don't be tempted by the things of Babylon. Where do you feel the longing for satisfaction? Where do you go? Do you seek God? Do you find satisfaction in your relationship with God? Even when your experience of relationship with God is sometimes mixed. Do you feel that? You might have been thinking, you know, this whole time, oh, relationship with God sounds pretty good, but what you're describing in my experience are kind of two different things. Sometimes it's awesome, but other times it doesn't seem to live up to this picture in Isaiah 55. That is because this is our experience of life in exile, away from our true home. The picture in Isaiah 55 is true when you come to God, but it's even more true and perfectly experienced when you're home with God and face-to-face in relationship with him. Don't chase after the things of Babylon. Because not only will it lead to dissatisfaction, you could lose your life and never make it home. 
So what is the thing for you? What's the thing that you're tempted to chase to find satisfaction in? You might just want to take a second and think about it, maybe write it down. Does it come to mind? Do you know what it is? Are you fighting against it? If you don't know what it is, then you're probably pursuing it unconsciously and in great danger. Keep very clear that Babylon is not the answer. One day we will be home and God wants you to have life. He wants you to have deep satisfaction. He wants you to enjoy relationship with him. So come to him. Someone's going to come and lead us in prayer for these things. I can't remember who it was, sorry. Lisa.